Okay, welcome back everybody for episode five of the Goal Line Podcast. I am joined by a very special guest here with me today. Uh, this is Jerry Concannon. He is the owner and operator of Quick Skills Soccer located in Pittsburgh. Not only that, he is a U.S. soccer grassroots instructor and we're going to get into his background amongst many other topics this this nice morning. So Jerry, welcome. Please say hi to our lovely guest. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Jesse. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, uh, Jerry, so we'll just talk about so uh, we'll talk about our background, I guess. So I met Jerry back back in about 2012, the summer of 2012, I think after my freshman year of college. He luckily essentially started my, my career in coaching. Uh, he gave me a job for about a week or two over the summer and then kind of stayed in touch. And look at us now, Jerry. Now we've been, you know, I was I was working for you all summer and it was a great company, great time. But um, so let's start with quick skills. Um, when did when did that start? Kind of, what was the vision behind all of that? So, the idea behind quick skills was to give players. Initially, I started the business with a little bit of a product called Skill Cards, and the idea behind those Skill Cards it was just a laminated little piece of paper that had little activities that the kids could do in the backyard that they could take out there and. And kind of use and, and, you know, the fact that it was laminated kept it protected from being banged up by the weather and things like that. So that was kind of the idea behind that got things going with the skill cards and with the business. But um, the whole idea was to give kids something to do in the backyard to improve their technical skills. That was the real. So how, how are you selling those, those skill cards? Because right? it would have to have been kind of in person, right? Um, well, it was a long time ago, right when uh, the Internet started. <laughs> I mean, I had a website that was everyone would laugh at today, but I did have something. I was selling them. And ironically, this was actually interesting. I sold these to parts all over the world. Like um, a couple of people in Germany bought them. I sold them to a guy in Australia. It was crazy. Like I didn't sell a ton of them, but it, it was very interesting was, to see. The it was response. nation. Yeah, it was worldwide. It was worldwide. So what, what, what kind of skills were on it? Like, what, were, what were you having these kids do? There was five categories on the skill cards. One was footwork, which I considered to be little activities that were more coordination activities that you could do with a ball at your feet. Second one was dribbling, which, inver which involved changing direction moves and dribbling little cone patterns around little cone patterns that you had set up. Third one was power moves, moves you'd use to beat defenders like scissor move, for example. Um, another one was juggling. I came up with all these little patterns of how to juggle the ball and different ways to do it. And then the fifth one was soccer fitness. So activities you can do in the backyard to sort of maintain your fitness. And as most experienced co coaches know, soccer is not like a running in a straight line endurance sport. It's more of a speed endurance sport, more of an anaerobic activity. So a lot of the things were just short burst sprints with change of direction and things like that. You know, not only does this sound like a like the perfect time to re-release these skill cards now with you know everybody the world kind of being know, shut down in this quarantine, but <laughs> but Jerry, you you know you you kind of seem like you're ahead of your time with this whole influencer thing. I mean, I, you know, obviously you're aware that you know everyone is now posting all these different things online, but it seems like you were you're ahead of your time. I pull but, my hair out every day right now for not having these things <laughs> revamped for this time. Not, but I mean, yeah. you expect a coronavirus, uh, you know, a yeah. pandemic to shut everyone in their houses and actually need this stuff. But um, 
Yeah. I was saying to my wife the other day, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I don't have these things updated because I wouldn't be able to put them out now. I have some left in the garage, but right. uh, I wouldn't be able to put them out now because they're a little bit dated and just even in the typeface and the font and people are like, what is this? Is this come from 1950 or whatever? <laughs> so, so, you know, but the concept behind them is similar and now people have videos and things like that for that. And so I, I just kind of, right. I'm a little bit, I was ahead of the curve significantly and now I feel like a little bit behind on that. But um, I did talk to my printer the other day and he feels like we can maybe revamp them a little bit. I don't know how they oh. would compete in the marketplace now with the with the video and the iPhones and all the little things people have, but they might have a little niche. So I'm not, uh, Absolutely. I, might, I might market test it a little bit and see if we can get them going again. Yeah, for sure. I, I, hey, I'd buy. But um, wh where, where, where's yeah, this idea them. from? Like where did, did you, so, so hold on, we, we skipped a couple of steps. So you, you played at Marquette, correct? I did. Yeah. So I, okay. I, so, and then what, what did this idea happen kind of right after college while you were in college? Like, how did you, did anything from your playing career at Marquette kind of inspire this idea? Actually, it was in high school that inspired that the, the idea came um, because of what I did myself in the backyard. It was literally just stuff that I had come up with on my own. And some of it, if you're familiar, and some of the older coaches would know this. Uh, if you're familiar with the Corver coaching programs, those came out in the mid 80s. And um, that involves a lot of technical work with you and the ball. And so I just kind of took some of those ideas and put them on steroids, so to speak, and kind of did a bunch of stuff on my own in the backyard as I was preparing for my high school seasons and training for college and things like that. And came up with a bunch of different stuff. I even had it written down on little pieces of paper and stuff like that. So I essentially just compiled all that and made it more presentable and put it into a package that something might be some you know a player might be able to to take advantage of now. Oh wow, that's that awesome! So you had this idea since high school, and then she went on through college. Let's talk about a little bit now your playing career in college. So I assume you know soccer isn't what it is in America right now, what it was back then. So I mean, what was kind of like the Division One experience? then compared to what you might think it is now? Well, the game has improved, you know, and progresses and modernized over time as anything would. Um, at the time when I was playing and I went into college in 89. So if anyone has a calculator, you'll figure that out very quickly. <laughs> um, but I went into college in 89 and at the time, Division I soccer in the United States was really the highest level. MLS was just kind of getting on the radar. There was some indoor soccer leagues going around. There had been a previous outdoor professional league that had gone defunct. Um, and it was we were kind of in a gap period. So when I went in, like college soccer was the highest level at the time. And shortly after I got out, though, it started, you know, the MLS started coming back into play and there was some indoor stuff that was going on and stuff like that. But at the time, it was the highest level. So that was kind of fun. Um, it was a real positive, challenging experience. Um, that was a time where I, I felt I grew a lot as a player and as a person. Um, I ended up playing against a lot of the guys uh, that end up going on to the MLS Some guys that played in the Olympics. I ended up playing. I played directly against and had to man mark. Brian McBride, who ended up playing for the men's national team and, yeah, went, yeah. Off and went off into the uh, the English Premier League. Um, wow. 
So that was quite an experience. A little funny story too. Brian McBride came back to Pittsburgh uh, a couple of years ago. He had ran a clinic for U.S. soccer, and he was over at Reese Run Park, a place you might be familiar with. Yeah. And, um, so we, he was running a clinic, a free clinic. So I brought my kids, <clears throat> and I went up to him and I reintroduced myself. I said, "You're not going to remember me at all, but I played against you when you, <clears throat> when you were at St. Louis and I was at Marquette." So he thought that was funny. <clears throat> yeah. He- you know, Jerry, he remembered you. He just didn't want to remember you. That's what, that's really what it came oh, down to. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah that's probably <laughs> exactly right. Wow, this is yeah. the one guy that caused me some problems back in college. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> but um, all right, so now, so great. So played at Marquette. So what was kind of the goal? If professional soccer really wasn't kind of like as big as it, as it is now, what was your thought and goal as you were graduating? Like was was the dream always to have your own soccer company? I mean, I know we talked about that. No, in fact, you, you no, had the idea in high school, but no, I had planned on moving on and becoming a normal human. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then, like seven years after you graduated, Quick Skills was founded. Yeah. So what happened was I finished up, and then I went to graduate school at Pitt. That's what brought me to Pittsburgh. So I was at Marquette University in Milwaukee, uh, and I came to Pittsburgh through graduate school. And when I was here, I volunteered to assist uh, at Duquesne University. They were starting a fledgling Division I program. Their first year was club level. And then they were going to jump right into Division I the following year. So I was actually, I just kind of called up the head coach. I didn't know who he was. I just called him up and introduced myself and said, I just finished playing. And would you be interested in having some help? And uh, he said, sure. So we... um, we ended up, I ended up coaching there for two or three seasons, just as a volunteer assistant, uh, which was nice. And that gave me something to do, stay with the game sort of during my graduate school time. And it was during that time that I started to kind of organize my thoughts on the things I was doing in the backyard. And I kind of got things going and kind of put those, some ideas for those skill cards together. I, I did was I put a comprehensive sheet of all the stuff and I kind of laminated them. It was very generic. It was just for kind of my purposes, really. And then we would do some of those activities at the college level and then with those with the guys. And then and then I said, I wonder if I can divide this up, break it into smaller bite sized pieces. And then then I started coming up with the idea of maybe breaking it up and putting in bite sized pieces and making it presentable. And maybe somebody would want them and maybe somebody would pay for them. Um, yeah, And then a lot of people ended <clears> up wanting them. That's awesome. Yeah, That's a great yeah, story. Cool. Yeah, it was kind of cool. And then. Um, a funny little story about that that got me into the, the the next phase of the business, which is the sort of camp and training programs, which is uh, really the bulk of it now, uh, was there was one guy that bought the cards. His name was Mitch Riley. I'll never forget. He was a great guy. Still a great guy. <laughs> he stays in touch with me <laughs> once in a while. And uh, his kids were in middle school at the time. And he said, hey, you know, I bought your skill cards. Would you be interested in coming out and doing like a private lesson? for my kids. I'm like, all right, I've never even heard of that. I never even knew that you could do that. So I was like, yeah, you know, he said, I'll come out, I'll pay you some, some money to, to kind of work with my kid. And uh, so I did that with each individual boy. And then he, after a couple of sessions, he's like, Hey, you know, for our diocese league, they went to a diocese school here in, in Pittsburgh and Wexford. And they said, Hey, would you be interested in maybe running a camp? And I said, well, Okay, <laughs> I guess, you know, <laughs> and it, it, so that was kind of the first camp I ever did was for a diocese school, St. Alphonsus up in Wexford. And um, it was, you know, I, I think back on it now, but it, I mean, it was the worst 
setup ever. Like I didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. I was so green. I had long lines of kids and doing that stuff that was probably very boring to them. And I, you know, you, know, you, you just think back on stuff, stuff that, that would make you cringe oh, now. Yeah, totally. If you had it, yeah. cringeworthy <laughs> for yeah for sure now. Yeah, but that was a that's how I got going into the camp thing. And then one camp led to another and another and another. And then I said, well, maybe I can make this a thing. Um, and so that's been the uh, that's been the focus now. So essentially, this this whole idea started with a cold call to to a new soccer coach. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so yeah, so so what was what were some of the experiences like at Duquesne? Kind of like how did you did you take anything from Duquesne to help shape the way you coach currently, or kind of run things, or was it all kind of just you know learning as you grew and it was running with the camps and the dynasties? This was a lot of learning as I went. It was before I actually, you know, the Duquesne experience was good in the sense that I was sort of in, immersed in a, in a high level, but it did not give me a ton in terms of learning how to teach younger kids. Um, so it had a lot of value and it really got my feet wet into coaching and gave me an interest in coaching. But the target market that we use that we deal with right now is more like ages three or four to through high school. And so that collegiate level was something that, you know, was a great experience, but didn't provide me a ton of stuff. It was also the time period before I got involved in any coaching licenses. And I have to say, were coaching licenses that, even, were, were they around back then? They were around. Or like, yeah, were they, they were around. Of- yeah. They were around, but uh, it wasn't until after I was done with all that experience and did I start to get engaged in getting some coaching licenses and things like that. And I have to say about the coaching licenses, uh, you know, a lot of people come out and, and we might talk about this later, but a lot of people come out and say, oh, I played I played college soccer. So, you know, I, I, I think I can coach. Um, that's a little bit of a trap because I learned way more about the game of soccer from my coaching experience than from my playing experience. Right. Even though I Who played were, at a relatively high level at the time, it, I learned way more about the game after I was done playing. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I feel like, you know, you, you're always, as a coach, you're just able to kind of sit back more and take, take more of a backseat and kind of think a little bit more about all the different sides, or you're kind of forced to think about all the different sides of things. And whereas a player, you know, you're kind of just, taught one thing or like coached one way. So you might not have that, you know, you might not want to think about another scenario or something, but as a coach, I feel like you have to think about all these scenarios, which kind of, kind of makes you a better all around knowledge person guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as (laughs) a player, um, you're thinking about your job and your contribution to the team and it's got a limited scope. As a coach, you're trying to think of everybody's job, everybody's contribution to the team. How do they get better? How does the team get better? What are the pieces of that? The technical pieces, the tactical pieces. Uh, what's the motivation of your players? Are they fit? There's a multi-layer situation going on there as well. Who are a couple of coaches that you that you have come come across in your kind of on your path that have helped you, or even just like people that you just listen to have kind of shaped who have, who have those coaches have helped shape your, your views on the game? Oh, there's a lot. And they've evolved over time. I have to say when I got to Pittsburgh and I started coaching, um, a team here, I coached some, like a seventh and eighth grade team. 
and then a ninth grade team for the North Allegheny School District. And at the time, the head coach of the boys program, his name was Bruno Schwartz. He's, he's kind of a legend in the area. Um, but the one thing I learned from Bruno, which I thought was very important, <clears throat> and it became important to me as a coach, and it was nice because I had a little bit of layer of this in my personality as it was, but he balanced out, he was really good at balancing out the technical knowledge of the game and coaching with character stuff, like character development. And I thought that was really, really good. I learned a lot from that process and, and, and sort of being the kind of player that you want to represent on the field and how you present yourself and your character and the integrity you have when you play and dealing with adversity and all that other stuff. And he was really, really good at that. So I kind of learned a lot from that side of him. As far as recently, I'd, I'd like to listen to guys like Raymond Verheyen. He's a Dutch gentleman who's come up with some interesting uh, concepts about coaching. And then there's Todd Bean, who is an American guy. He actually has married, uh, married Johan Cruyff's daughter. So he lives in Spain and he runs an academy called Tovo Academy. And some of their stuff is yeah, yeah, yeah. really, okay. really good. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, um, familiar. Yeah, so, you know, I've tried I've, my coaching. I, I try to constantly learn. I try to constantly develop myself as a coach. And um, so I, I keep trying to stay on top of sort of those sorts of things, those cutting edge sort of guys that are out in the market trying to present different ideas. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, life is, we're always constantly learning, or at least we should be constantly learning. Um, so speaking of coaches, then what do you think some, like some of the flaws of coaching in America are? Because I think we're all familiar with some bad coaches, whether it be at the youth, high school or college level. Uh, what do you think like kind of the, the big problem is right now, if there is a problem? Well, I mean, there's pros and cons to everything, I think. And right now, coaching in America, in terms of some of the, the, the downfalls or the issues, I wouldn't say downfall is not a tragic issue, but there's some you know things that could be improved. We'll call it that, right? There so we go. That's I what we're looking for. I think there's a little bit of a knowledge gap. Um, again, going back a little bit to what I mentioned before with players, it's kind of a positive and a negative in that one of the good things about soccer in America now is a lot of sort of parents that are becoming uh, coaches, there's a greater percentage of them now that have played the game. It's still a small percentage, but more than before. Um, Wait, what do, you, what do you mean by play the, play the game? So like play the game soccer, through yeah, high school or? Yeah, at any level, right? So okay. more and more parents now have probably are starting to have played soccer. It used to be, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, there'd hardly be any parents. Like parents were just, right. they didn't play, so they didn't know. But now they have an idea of the game a little bit. And some of them have played and a lot more of them have played in high school or a lot more of them played in college. But again, that is a little bit of a trap, as I mentioned earlier, because it's one thing to take math class in high school. It's another thing to teach it. So a lot of these guys come out and, and girls and they come out and say, oh, I, I played college soccer, so I think I got this. I think I could coach. <laughs> well, there's a reason why there's a teaching profession. It's because it's a skill. So, uh, you know, being able to do something doesn't mean you can teach it. 
Um, so I think there's a knowledge gap. That's what I mean. Like, I think it's great that we've got a lot of people that have played the game, but you don't want to find the ones that think they know already because that's dangerous. Uh, to right. Think so now, so as a, <clears throat> so as a grassroots instructor, what are like, what are you trying to get out of those, those people coming in? Cause I mean, a lot of it, uh, if you've, if you've gone through it, uh, for those who haven't, it's, you'll get a lot of kind of like the parent youth coaches or just the general, someone like myself who is trying to advance in a coaching career where, um, you know, I still have to, I'm still sitting through, you know, whether it's a nine V nine or seven V seven, whatever it may be. So we have, you know, you get a wide range of coaches. So what's something that you're trying to really, or trying to make sure that these coaches are getting out of the grassroots? Well, I have to say, I just finished the grassroots instructor course back in February, end of January, beginning of February. And, and, Reflecting back on it and going through the process, it has to be one of the more rewarding coaching courses that I've taken, both in content and process. Um, just because there was so much information about what the what U.S. soccer is trying to do now in terms of what they're presenting in the grassroots coaching courses and how they want you to teach it. And there was a lot to learn, not only in the content, in the curriculum itself, but in the, in the delivery of the curriculum, both in your individual presentation skills as an instructor in adult learning activities and ways that adults learn in group environments. Um, so I took a ton away from that and I am kind of got better at it, to be honest, in terms of the process. Um, I also think that one of the things that U.S. soccer is doing that's really, really good is they're trying to create a more positive learning environment for everyone, both players and coaches. So if you're a, if you're a coach in a grassroots course, they want that learning experience to be positive and supportive and fulfilling. But they also want that mindset to trickle down from that coach to their individual players as well to be in a positive, supportive environment that's based on the learner, the individual. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things I took away from <clears throat> the grassroots coaching courses and things like that is, is this concept that there's six tasks of a coach. And previously, well, let's talk about the six tasks very briefly. There's six tasks of a coach. One is your coaching training sessions. Second one is your coaching games. So those are two of your roles. Third role right. would be leading the player. Fourth role would be leading the team. Your fifth role, they call it managing the performance environment, which really means managing the effect the parents might have on the environment, both the overall environment with you and your interaction with the players, but also with their interaction with their own players. So it's kind of like parent management. And then the right. final one is they call it leading the process. And really that involves leading yourself. So what are you going to do as a coach to improve? And we just talked about this a little bit earlier about, you know, coaches on a, on a vertical right. learning path trying to, to try and improve themselves constantly. But that is a huge piece. Now, there's six tasks. I just described all six. The previous coaching courses that I've taken, and I've taken all the ones in the United States has to offer. So a license through the U.S. soccer and the premier diploma through um, USC, uh, United Soccer Coaches. And then I did the national youth and all this other stuff. But up to, you know, previously, all of those coaching co courses focused on the first two of those th six things. That was it. Coaching training sessions and coaching games. That was it. <laughs> right. I had a little bit of pieces of dabbling here and there and stuff. But what I like about the new process is they've opened up to four more jobs that a coach has to do. And, and experienced coaches sort of viscerally know these jobs, but 
they're now kind of laid out really nicely and they talk about the details of each one. And I think that's really, really important for a younger coach and a less experienced coach or somebody just getting into it to understand that there's more to just running practice and coaching on the sideline on Saturday. So I, I kind of think so. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, as I start building my way through the courses, I'm sure I'll see more of it, but, um, for me from like a, a coaching, I don't know. I just feel like leading the team, like I feel that should be higher than number four because I mean, if you don't have the, if you can't lead the team, then you don't really have a good practice. Right. Or is Correct. it one of those things where all six tasks like should go kind of hand in hand? I think they're more equal. I think they just listed them because they have, gotcha. to, you know, I, I but I There's think they bad. all have equal value. Yeah. They all have equal value. Okay. Yeah, it's just like, if you want to make sense. Yeah. I, so what, uh, so what are some ways then to get a kind of like, so you also have been a very successful high school coach in, in the Pittsburgh area. So what were some of the things that you used from either these courses or just learning about getting kind of a team buy-in or getting, getting players to believe in themselves and then each other and to trust each other and to turn into a winning program? Yeah. So a couple things with that. Um, Number one, you want to create team spirit. And one of the ways you do that is to keep everybody included. And so one of the things I did with my high school team was we tried to make sure that everyone felt that they were part of the program, part of the team and had value. It might not be the same value as the person next to them in terms of what the value is, but everyone knew that they had value. And we really reinforced that all the time. Um, and that probably was the foundation of the whole process, to be honest. And then we did a lot of other things, team activities that, you know, built on that. But when I first took over the program, the X's and the O's weren't nearly as important as that. That was the number one thing to establish. And that became the tradition over time. And, and, and what was nice is once we established our traditions and our team ideas and our team concepts, um, the older players would pass that along to the younger players without so you get this sort of internal reinforcement, although we as coaches would always reinforce it, but you'd get this internal reinforcement because the older players had, had bought into it and would always constantly recycle the information to the younger players, which I thought was a huge help. And we established that momentum. And I think, really, really yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's incredible. And I always, I've been trying to kind of understand that process and trying to figure out how to get more you know, kids to buy in that way, because I, you know, if you, if you don't have buy-in and it, it, you know, it just, it builds a team culture. And mm -hmm. I was actually, it was interesting. I was just reading this more. I mean, I've been reading leaders eat last by Simon Sinek uh, recently. And so yeah. either this morning or yesterday morning, you know, or the, a lot of the book just talks about the, the sense of belonging and, and the tribe and just to get into the science of it is just everybody kind of feels the need to feel like they belong. And just going back to the value part, you know, if, if you get that, you know, the 16, 17, whatever person on the bench and they don't feel like they have a value to the team, then it kind of just want that one person can set a domino effect. And I think a lot of the coaches, if you're listening, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have experienced that whether you, if you played or coach, you always have, you know, one or two kids that don't really see the value in being, you know, what they can do to help the team, even if they're not playing and so on. So um, I think creating that value, creating that trust as a team is, is absolutely the most important thing. And then leads to winning, right? Yeah, it does. I, I mean, not every game, 
right. Of course. Yeah, certainly, of course. Uh, the trend is upward. You know, like we we won more games than we lost. So, and that's kind of the objective, yeah, right? Yeah, it's always a good thing. Yeah, and that's always a good thing, especially as a high school coach. I mean, your 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 job is to try and win games, and uh, and that does. You know, if I can segue just a little bit because you yeah, touched yeah. on something there um, that I think is important, at least for me as a coach, and that is player development. And one of the things that um, we tried to do when I tried to do with my high school team, and I do it with my club teams as well, um, is I, I have a little bit of an issue with with winning at all, this mindset of winning at all costs. And I, I have to add those words at all costs because everyone wants to win every game that they play. That's why wouldn't, why would you play if you didn't want to try and win it? Right. Um, but it's the at all costs part that I think a lot of people sort of maybe forget about. So one of the things we did with the high school team is, is we had a, I never had a set starting lineup. I don't feel that that's, I never feel that that is an important thing. And, and I think that was a huge factor in being able to establish that team spirit. So you're, all, you're saying like you, you adjusted your, how'd you adjust? Like based on starting lineup, throughout the week in practice or like, yeah, starting you, lineup, how did I you adjust? I, I honestly, in my 12 years coaching high school, I, I bet there may have been one or two games where the lineup prior, the previous lineup was the same one in that next game. So, Interesting. yeah, so everyone on that bench and the other thing we did, and it's a smaller, it was a smaller school, so you could get away with this, is we really kept the JV and varsity players together. Everyone was one unit. It That's wasn't awesome. two separate teams. It was one unit. When the JV players were playing, the varsity kids were watching. When the varsity kids were playing, the JV kids were watching. <clears throat> and by the way, anyone could go in in any game at any time. That was another thing. Right. So be ready. Okay. Um, so one of the things we did was, you know, rotating the starting lineup really, really helped because what it did was it established this belief that I can get in the game. <laughs> so if, yeah. I can, if I have the chance to get in the next game and start and play, then I need to work, continue to work my tail off at training. And it allowed the training sessions to maintain a higher intensity and it created team spirit all at the same time. And, um, you know, when, uh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say like, do you, did you feel like, because w when I was coaching at seminary in, in New Jersey, we, we kind of had that same motto is like, you know, we, we didn't really keep the same starting line of every game. Like a couple kids, you know, you had your, your guys who you should start, but you know, we really wanted to make those practices another level, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like, I don't know. I just feel like that could also, you know, what a, could you also talk about the cons of kind of not having that same starting lineup? And, you know, let's say you, you start this kid, he had a great week of practice, doesn't do so hot in the game, and then he's not starting. Like, you know, how does did that also feel? Do you, did you feel that also affected kind of like the, the mental side of their game? Yeah, you have to prepare them for that. Like you have to have conversations. And I think part of that goes to the other two of the pieces of the six tasks of the coach, which we talked about earlier, leading the player and leading the team. Those two ones are valuable in there. Like you have to have sidebar conversation. You have to have individual conversations with players and say, you know, everything's okay. Here's what, here's, here's what's going on. You know, you performed well in training, played the game, didn't perform that great. Uh, that doesn't mean your, your world has ended. The sun will rise tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. But 
we're also in a competitive environment and you need to challenge yourself and you need to rise again. And I think, I think that's okay. Like I think putting that challenge right. in front of an athlete is an okay thing. And I think it's a really good thing to do for them uh, because Absolutely. then they don't, they don't go, Oh, you know, it's over, it's over. No, it's not over. And then it's important for you as a coach to make sure you give them another, another opportunity. You can't just forget about them. So like, that's no. the other piece uh, that, yeah. makes that work. Yeah. Very well said. So talking about then, those sidebar conversations and the mindset, um, you know, what would you say like some of the things right now, it kind of like the, from the mindset it takes for a player to play at the next level, to play at that division one level, to play against the Brian McBrides of the world. So what kind of mindset? Yeah. Um, I think an athlete that's looking to get to the next level, whatever that level is, to be honest, it could be, um, you know, high school to college, it could be college to pro, it could be, um, eighth grader to high school. It could be travel player to classic league player, cup level player. It could be rec player to travel player, whatever the next right. bump up is. I mean, I think generally speaking, they have, just have to have some determination, some willingness to work, a willingness to sort of overcome obstacles and setbacks, um, kind of a not quit mentality. A little bit of a problem-solving mentality, I think, is really, really important. I mean, there's even some science behind it. When you ask yourself questions, things like, what can I do? How can I solve this? When you openly ask yourself those questions, or what can I do to get better, your brain search for the, searches for the answers. So right. usually it will come up with an answer uh, instead of just saying, I don't know what to do. <laughs> instead yeah, of saying it, that, it, say to yourself, Hey, what can I do to fix this? Or what can I do to solve this? And then your brain will search for the answer and usually will find something to move you forward. Um, I love that. And yeah. And especially with, with all the, the resources now, you know, it's so, they're so accessible. I think it's, you know, there, I hate the, you know, oh, I didn't have time to do this excuse or, you know, that I hate the time excuse. I hate almost really any excuse, obviously, but, um, you know, I think, Actually, it was in my strength and conditioning packet uh, for my college, like the first quote my coach put in, and it stuck with me. It was, if it's important to you, you'll find a way. If not, you'll make an excuse. And oh, to me, I don't one. know. I, I love those quotes. I'm, I'm corny like that. But, oh. um, you know, I think that's one of those quotes. It just it's so true. And, you know, if, if you kind of just tell yourself that in the back of your mind over and over again, I think eventually you start to to hold yourself accountable and to really what what you want to achieve. And. And, you know, I just think, you know, there's always, there's always a way. There's always a way. Absolutely. And goal setting is part of that too. I think that's important. Individual goal setting. But I, I like that quote a lot. That's a good one. I might have to, I might have to borrow that. Hey, you you can use it. Don't worry. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course. Of course. So, um, so we'll, we'll start wrapping up, but for any coach, I guess, or any, any person who just kind of wants to develop themselves professionally, what, what are kind of some of like, I guess the three, maybe two or three biggest things that you've learned in your coaching career um, from Duquesne to where you are now running a very successful soccer training business? Well, I think. I know it's hard to pick, pick a couple, but uh, yeah, so your favorite the, ones. The things that sort of, I could tell like a younger coach. Is that what you mean? Like somebody that's getting into coaching and getting going like things like that. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like how to build themselves and, you know, next steps in their career, how to advance their coaching career or their playing career, whatever it may be. Okay. Number one, educate yourself. Find coaching, go to the coaching courses. One of my, my approach 
to coaching education is that I don't know everything. If I start from there, I'll always learn something. So whenever I go to a coaching class, a coaching convention, an online coaching course, a webinar, anything, I'm always trying to find at least one thing, just one thing that I can extract from that learning experience. Um, usually, I, with that mindset, I find way more than one. But if my baseline is one, I'm good to go. Because anything you, anytime you engage Love in a that. coaching education opportunity, um, if you find one thing, you've just improved. So I all exactly. my, and, and I kind of mm -hmm. like. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I go was going to say, like, I've always heard people say is kind of like about when you're contemplating, like buying a book or something or buying a, an online class. It's like, well, if you if you learn one thing from there, then, you know, how can you use that one thing? Let's say you paid fifteen dollars for a book. Then maybe you learn one thing. And that one thing that you learn that you paid fifteen dollars on ends up helping you make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, for example. Right. You know, then right. I think that investment was worth it. So I, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, just scale the idea. So you know, apply it in other areas and apply it in different things and try to learn from anything you can finish. So number one is have an open mind when it comes to coaching education and pursue the coaching education. Um, that's important. I think number two would be make sure you're treating the individual players uh as though they are individual people, you know, like I, I think that so coaches do get caught up a little bit in this, you know, sort of winning at all costs thing. And usually, mm -hmm. usually the things that fall to the wayside in those environments of winning at all costs is individual people and losing confidence and losing their own self-worth and value and things like that. And, and, and as a coach, um, you know, we're coaching kids. We're not coaching soccer. We're coach soccer is the vehicle, but the people that we're coaching are children. So love that. Yeah. So you have to keep in mind that you're dealing with individual people and they all have individual personalities and things like that. And that what, that, by the way, that's what makes the game incredible is you've got so many different players on the field with different approaches to things and things like that. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And we don't want to squash that. You want to value that and use it and enhance it and make them feel good about themselves and, and, you know, do no harm really kind of thing is, 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 is right. Is right. Do no harm and, and try and impact confidence in a positive way. And I think that's a, a huge thing in terms of dealing with players. Um, I'm trying to think of number three, what, if you got it. Number three, um, let me think for a second here. Number three. I mean, I mean, if not, those first two were, you know, were pretty incredible. <laughs> those were good there's enough. enough. So, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed those. And, yeah, if there's enough shine on the two, let me think. Let me just give me 10 seconds to think of another yeah, one yeah, if yeah. I can get it. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, do what I suggested the players would do um, if they're trying to get to the next level. You know, try to ask yourself questions about how I can solve problems and things like that and get your brain to answer those questions. Going um, back to that, the vertical learning. Curve, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. It's kind of always get better. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, I would add this. Okay, uh -oh. bonus nugget. Uh -oh. This is, we, nugget. This is three and a half. This is bonus. 
There's yeah. bonus content. Coaching can be all consuming if you let it. So I would suggest, uh, as Mr. Miyagi very poignantly said in The Karate Kid, you must have balance. So you want to make sure you don't get caught up and to have your, and, and by the way, this was a thing that I had to learn. I was going down this road, um, you know, especially when you have a business too, like, a, you know, if you're running a business and it's a coaching business, it can be really all, right. I mean, any business can be all consuming. So, right. uh, but balancing your life out, giving yourself um, time to do things that you like to do, making sure you have time, carve out time for your family and, and, and you time with your own children and your wife and things like that. That's really important because um, there's always something you can do if you're a coach and, and if you're a professional coach, or if you're running a business, there's always something you can do and you just have to really hit the brakes and say, wait a minute, you know, align your values in a way that you make sure that first things are first and um, make sure you carve out time and create balance in your life. Otherwise you could be sitting on, podcasts and videos and coaching courses and planning sessions and thinking about your team 24 seven. You really could. Right. <laughs> so, right. I um, hear you. Yeah. You got to find time to kind of balance that out a little bit. So that's, that's 3.5, I guess you're three and a half nuggets. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> well, no, I, pre- I appreciate the bonus content. Hopefully the, the listeners do too, but Jerry, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. Um, uh, a lot of valuable information. Uh, definitely, I know I'm going to take some of it, and hopefully, you know, like I said, all the listeners do too. But again, thank you so much, and You're welcome to all the listeners out there, make sure you go to Jerry's grassroots coaching courses. Uh, you'll learn a lot. Yeah, and if they have kids, maybe they would sign up for a quick skill soccer camp this summer. <laughs> there you go, quick skill soccer <laughs> camp. Head over to I throw out a chain uh, with quick skill soccer on Instagram. Uh, you know, we always we can always plug it. Quick skill soccer on Instagram um soccerquickskills.com to sign up for any camps this summer i promise you i may be at a couple so definitely want to don't want to miss me and jerry in action together that's right it's quite a team all right all right thanks thank you jerry appreciate it my pleasure bye